0: I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word today. If you're able, it's Luke 15, one through three and 11 through 32. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you, I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends." But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, we thank you that when Christ came, he came telling stories. We pray this morning that by your spirit, this story might pierce our hearts, that we might see ourselves in this story. This story might get inside us and do what only you can do in helping us to see you for who you are, helping us to see ourselves for who we are. So come and teach us your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever lost anything valuable? I want you to think about that for a second kids have you lost a favorite toy young people maybe you've lost your phone on the Florida trip this week we took the high school students phones away for a little bit that was fun (laughs) spouses have you ever lost a wedding ring parents I don't want you to raise your hands but have you ever temporarily lost a child at an amusement park or a stadium it's a horrible feeling when we lose something valuable So we drop everything and we focus and we devote all our attention to finding what's lost. In Luke 15, Jesus tells three stories about how God relates to things that are lost. We have a story about a lost sheep, a story about a lost coin, and then this story. The first two stories state the obvious. When we lose something valuable, we go after it. And when we find it, we rejoice. And Jesus wants us to know that if we're like that, God's actually like that too, which is a very encouraging thought. Now, this story builds on the first two, but it takes us deeper because we're no longer talking about sheep and coins. Now we're talking about people. It's a famous story, as you probably know. It's often called the parable of the prodigal son. That may be what it says in your Bible, but it's actually the story of two lost sons and their loving father. It's a masterful story told by the greatest storyteller. And like other great stories, it invites us in. Can you find yourself in this story? And it shakes us up. What are you gonna do after hearing this? So whether you've heard it many times before or this is your first time, I hope that we can get inside the story and then let the story get inside us and do its work on us. So let's set the scene because context is really important here. Look at verses one and two, because Luke tells us there are two groups of people standing around listening to Jesus' teaching. Over here, we have the tax collectors and sinners. They're the outsiders, the bad guys. And they're flocking to Jesus, amazingly. And we have the Pharisees and scribes. They're the religious insiders. They're the good guys. And in the middle of all this, they're grumbling because Jesus is always hanging out with sinners. The audience matters because Jesus tells a story where each group in the audience is represented. The lost younger son represents the tax collectors and sinners. And the lost older son represents the Pharisees and scribes. And you also have a father who represents God. So in this story, Jesus is building a tent big enough for all of us. We all fit here. We may not see ourselves literally as tax collectors or Pharisees, but these groups represent two kinds of people, two ways of living life. And we're in here. So this morning, I hope that you'll see yourself in the younger son or the older son or both And I hope you'll be amazed by the picture of a father who loves and seeks after his lost children. So before we dive in, I just want to try to summarize the story. Just a reminder, because you heard it, but let's summarize it. Father has two sons. The younger son insults the father and demands his inheritance. Amazingly, the father grants the request. So the younger son travels off to a far country and there he wastes his life in reckless living. And he hits rock bottom and he remembers his father and he makes plans to go home. And while he's still a long way off, the father sees him, runs to him, embraces him, forgives him. The younger son confesses his unworthiness, but the father overwhelms him with grace, calls for a great celebration. One lost son's found. And then when the older son hears the sound coming from the party, he gets suspicious. The father goes out to him as well, pleads with them to come and join the feast, but he's angry. And as the story ends, we don't know what's gonna happen to the older son. So on the surface, the story is really simple enough, but like the ocean beneath the surface, there are miles and miles to explore here. It's really inexhaustible. In just over 20 verses, Jesus gives us this remarkable parable of how different people approach God. It's a picture of the gospel, and it calls us to reconsider what it really means to be lost, what it means to be found. Now, be kind because whole books have been written on this parable and we could preach a whole series on it all summer, but we have one sermon. So what are we gonna do? First, we're, we're gonna compare the two lost sons and then we're gonna focus on the father. And then we'll end with a word about the great danger that I think is in this passage. So first, the two sons show us two ways to be lost. It's really easy to see that the two sons in the parable are different because they're lost in different places. The younger son is lost in far country. His rebellion is obvious because he runs away from home. The older son is lost, you might say, in the next room. His rebellion is hidden because he never leaves. And Jesus is challenging our traditional notion that there's only one way to be lost. We can actually be alienated from God, both far and near. The two sons are also lost in different ways. The younger son is lost in self-indulgence. He's the wild child who keeps his parents up at night, waiting for his return. And then the older son is lost in self-righteousness. He's the good kid. He's always tucked in by 8.30. The younger son is the life of the party. The older son calls the police about the party. (laughs) You know who you are. The younger son is lost breaking the rules. The older son is lost keeping the rules. Jesus wants us to realize the compliant child can be just as lost as the strong willed child. Self righteousness can be just as dangerous as self indulgence. It's harder to see that the two sons are actually very similar, but they both have a broken relationship with the father. Look at verse 12. The younger son demands his inheritance. And there are two words that really describe how he relates to the father, give me, give me. What are the implications of a son asking for his inheritance while his father is still alive? Kenneth Bailey lived and worked in the Middle East for much of his life and he went around asking people in the Middle East that very question and the answers all came back the same. This has never happened. This never would happen because if a son ever did this, he would basically be saying, father, I wish you would just hurry up and die because I want my stuff. Imagine saying that to your dad. It's clear the younger son doesn't love the father, but is the older son any different? When his father forgives his younger brother, he explodes with anger. Look at verse 29. He doesn't even address him as father, which is very disrespectful. He says, look, these many years I've served you, I never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Look where his heart is. His father's rejoicing in this amazing thing that's happened, and he just wants to celebrate with his friends. He lives so close, but his heart is so far. So you see, both sons want the father's stuff, not the father. They want a reward, they don't want a relationship. And that's the root of being lost. It's the same in both cases, a broken relationship with the father. And because of that, both sons humiliate the father. The younger son humiliates the father by requesting his inheritance. He, in a few days, he goes and sells off what it took his father a lifetime to acquire. So he cashes out and he leaves town and he burns every bridge on the way, shames his father, his brother, the whole community, But the older son humiliates his father, too, by refusing to join in the celebration. Every guest at the party would know the older son should be here. Where is he? He's supposed to be playing a role as host. Shouldn't he be excited with his father? His absence embarrasses the father in front of the whole community. And he's broken his father's heart as much as his brother. He just doesn't see it. So both sons choose to be slaves instead of sons. The younger son doesn't wanna live at home anymore with his father, so he runs off to the far country to find himself. But in the end, that freedom he's chasing turns out to be slavery. In his desperation, he hires himself out to feed pigs, finds himself longing for pig food. In a Jewish context, it's hard to imagine anything worse than that. And it's there in the pigsty that he remembers home. He remembers his father, and he makes plans to return. But notice, he doesn't feel worthy to be a son. He doesn't want to come back as a son. He will demand to be a hired servant instead. The older son doesn't feel like a son either. He complains about slaving away for his father, and he argues that he's not getting what he deserves. It sounds like a labor dispute about wages. And so you see, keeping all the rules can be just as enslaving as breaking all the rules. Two sons, two very different approaches, but both are lost. And it all boils down to how they respond to the father. They don't embrace his love. They don't love him. They're lost. Are you beginning to see yourself in the story? Because there's a younger son in all of us. Do you recognize him? Younger sons want to run away and do life apart from God. That was the original temptation, but it's our temptation every day. We think we know better than God. How to run our lives. And so we we plan and we work and we play like God doesn't exist. And younger sons want God's stuff but not God. We say things like, "Lord, I'll take you seriously later, but for now just give me my stuff. My friends, my job, my money, my house, my spouse, my kids." And so we worship and serve the gifts, not the giver. And younger sons despise life at home with God. This is boring. This is restrictive. Get me out of here. And we peer over the fence and we see greener pastures in the world. And we look around and say, those people, they're having more fun. Why can't I go do that? So younger sons long for the far country. Life that we want, the dream of life is is life not here. It's life away from home, free from the father. So we make trips to the far country during college years on the weekend, on the business trip, or maybe just when we're on our phone. And we think what happens in the far country stays in the far country, but sooner or later we find ourselves enslaved. The far country has an expiration date, but when will we come to our senses? So there's an older, there's an older son in all of us too. Do you recognize him? Older sons view life as one big performance. We feel like what we're hearing is we are what we do. So I constantly have to perform to earn my identity. But have you noticed we tend to grade ourselves on a curve? The older son says, I've never disobeyed. We might feel that. I always do the right thing. Why can't these other people figure it out? We're not trying to boast, of course. We're just better than everyone. And so we're always looking down at people. And when you're always looking down at people, it's really hard to look up and see a God who's so far above you you put yourself in his place older sons see life with God as all duty no delight we may not say it but we feel it Lord I've slaved for you after all I've done for you how are you going to treat me like this we don't serve the Lord because we love him we just do it because it's the right thing to do and so we keep on pressing on but we're growing increasingly bitter and then older sons get angry when God lavishes his grace on the unworthy when we hear about God saving sinners our first response is suspicion why would God love someone like that why are we celebrating you know it's not going to last what's happening in that person's life isn't this a waste of the fattened calf grace scandalizes our sense of justice the older son is actually one of the least attractive characters in the bible In Mark Twain's words, he's a good man in the worst sense of the word. It just seems so fitting. The scary thing is, the older son in us doesn't see it. Now, like the two sons, we're not always consistent in the way that we're lost. Someone has said, we're like the drunk peasant just trying to stay on the donkey. One day we fall off into license, the next day we fall off into legalism, so we run off as a younger son, but then we try to come back as an older son, or we stay home as an older son, but secretly we have these fantasies of breaking free like a younger son. So there are two ways to be lost, but deep down they're really the same. We refuse to make our home in the love of God, and it doesn't matter, because irreligion is not the gospel, and religion is not the gospel either. The gospel is something different. So do you understand the dynamics of your heart? Are you more prone to be lost in the far country or just in the next room? When we begin to see our sin, we're ready to hear about the father. Because if the son shows us two ways to be lost, the father shows us the only way to be found. The father loves his younger son. The prodigal would expect an angry mob as soon as he shows his face in town again. He will be assaulted verbally. He may even be assaulted physically for what he's done. He's gonna have to run the gauntlet by himself if he wants to come home. So against that backdrop, verse 20 becomes one of the most beautiful pictures in the Bible. Look at verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Wow. The difference between what he deserves and what he receives is so shocking that it changes his life forever because he expects punishment and he gets a party if this is a picture of god it seems too good to be true after all we've wasted after all we've squandered is he really looking for us wouldn't he just give up on us does he really have compassion for us would he really run toward us aristotle said great men never run in public because it's humiliating back then. It would be beneath you back then. But brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, God runs toward us. He leaves his home in heaven, come after us. He runs the gauntlet for us. He suffers the punishment that we deserve. He dies on the cross. He rises from the dead. He does it all. Before we can clean ourselves up, before we can make our rehearsed speech, before we can pay anything back, he loves us. Dirty clothes, lost our sandals, smell like a pig pen. He finds us. That's grace. And the difference between what we deserve and what we receive should be so shocking that it changes our lives forever. Friends, God loves tax collectors and sinners. Younger sons, aren't you weary of the far country? Aren't you ready for joy that lasts So come home, rest in the Father's love for you. Whatever you've done, you're not beyond the reach of his grace. But know this, there will be no negotiations. You can't come back as a servant or a hired hand. God will only take you as a son or a daughter. The robe, the ring, the shoes are for children, not slaves. Have you been found in his love? The father loves the older son too. Now this would have surprised the Pharisees as they stand around, but Jesus shows us a father who patiently appeals to the older son. He doesn't explode. He leaves the house again. He suffers humiliation again. He goes out to his older son and he implores him to come and join the feast. You see, God loves Pharisees too. Ask Nicodemus, ask the apostle Paul. Older sons, aren't you weary of the performance? Aren't you tired of being bitter about everything? Don't let your goodness keep you from the feast. You're never so good that you don't need God's grace. So come home and rest in the Father's love for you too. But that's a hard message for older sons to hear, isn't it? Which leads to our last point, because the parable shows us the danger of self-righteousness. When we think about this story, we focus on the younger son usually. It's in the title it's kind of the beautiful picture of the story, but I actually don't think that's what Jesus intended. In Luke 15, seven, Jesus says, I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The younger son is the sinner who repents. The older son is the righteous person who doesn't think he needs to. And Jesus is warning us about the danger of that kind of self-righteousness. Because self-righteousness shapes how we see God and how we see ourselves the younger son's story is complete he once was lost but now is found he was blind now he sees that's a happy ending cut right but Jesus doesn't end there the older son's story is incomplete he's lost but he's blind to it and that's the point he's in greater danger because he doesn't see the danger he's probably annoyed why are you telling me to come home i never left self-righteousness is a different kind of far country because it's hard to come home when we already think we're there self-righteousness also shapes how we see others older brother types can do so much damage just think about the bible and here's a few examples in the bible cain kills abel joseph's brothers sell him into slavery it can happen in the church too. Older brothers can be judgmental and cold. We can drive the younger brothers back to the far country as soon as they come home. Well, in a church and a denomination where we take the Bible and theology very seriously, which is good, we should be careful because it's easy to become Pharisees. So we need to ask our tax collectors and sinners really welcome here. Our younger brothers drawn to us like they were drawn to Jesus. As if they're not the older brother is probably alive and well oh to be a church that would rejoice in the younger brother coming home as older brothers we claim perfection but we fail again and again when it matters most and where it matters most is in love so we don't love the father as we should we don't speak up when our younger brothers run away we don't stand in as ministers of reconciliation we don't go out and search for our younger brothers and bring them home And then we don't come in to share our father's joy when the prodigals do return. But there's good news for older brothers because there is an older brother who's different, different from the one in the story. Wherever we failed, Jesus Christ succeeded. Our Lord is the true older brother. Compare him to the older brother in the story. Jesus loved the Father perfectly. He refused to remain silent when we sinned against the Father and ran away. He came to search for us and reconcile us to God. He bore our shame on the cross and he did it all, not because it was just the right thing to do, but for the joy set before him to bring us home. He's a good man in the best sense of the word. And that's what we need. His love is powerful enough to conquer self-righteousness. Because the unrighteous and the self-righteous both need to be saved. And Jesus can do it. God loves older sons just like he loves younger sons. And he would gladly celebrate with us in the exact same way. The problem is, we don't think we need that kind of love and grace. We're too busy justifying ourselves and comparing ourselves to other people. If I'm not lost, why do I need to be found? If that kind of self-righteousness is in our hearts, we're in grave danger. Do you believe that? That's the question hanging over at the end of the story. And that's the reason Jesus leaves the story unresolved because it really doesn't matter what happens to the older brother in the parable, but it matters so much what happens to the older brother in our hearts. So how will we respond to the father's invitation? Will we stay outside or will we come in? Will we remain a slave or will we become a beloved child? Will we trust in ourselves or will we trust in our older brother Jesus? I really wish you could have been there on Thursday night. It was the last night of the Florida trip with the high school students, and I got to be there as an old guy. It's a joy. We spent over three hours worshiping, listening to God's word, being quiet on the beach, praying, singing, telling stories of rescue. And I said earlier that God answered your prayers. This is not the only thing he did, but this is a joyful thing he did. During the week, 29 students responded to God's invitation and put their trust in Christ for the first time. Amen. (laughs) 29 people. It's over 10% of the trip of students. They were all lost in different ways and they were all found in the love of God. So as the... The story says, the father says at the end, it was fitting for us to celebrate, for they were dead. God made them alive. They were lost, and he found them. And brothers and sisters, that's our story, too. So those few hours on Thursday night felt like a feast of joy in the father's house. There was laughter. There were tears. We rejoiced, and no one wanted to leave. It was probably because they had a 21-hour bus ride ahead of them, but- <laughs> Really, no one wanted to leave. No one was in a hurry. It's hard to describe what it's like to be in a room full of people who are just overwhelmed by the love of God. But that's what it felt like. And I hope today and as many times as we can, we can experience that together more and more because it feels like a foretaste of heaven. It feels like home. And friends, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, don't you wanna come home? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story, and we thank you that it's not just a story, but it describes what you've done for us, that you sent Christ to bring us home. And so whether we're lost in the far country or lost in the next room, we pray that we might see that our life and our approach to you just doesn't work if we're trusting in how we're gonna figure it out, how we're gonna make it. Lord, it's about looking to you and resting in your love. And so we pray that you would help us to make our home in your great love for us. And Lord, as we do, I pray you would transform us into the kind of people who are more like the Father and more like our older brother, Jesus. For there are so many who are lost around us. And Lord, we pray that by your grace, you might use us to help them uh, to come home to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.